everybody and welcome back to another 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 episode of analytical fan i'm gonna stop that hi everybody i'm the vacuuminator and i'm joined as always by the diligent boingo writer how you doing uh we got a hunk of hunk of burning opinions yes yes <laughs> it's uh Elvis has been around so long, there's literally no new jokes to make about him. But uh, we're, we're still going to talk about him this week because uh, we're talking about two compilation albums. These are the Elvis Presley with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra albums, If I Can Dream and The Wonder of You, which are essentially best of Elvis albums, but each track is remixed, so the backing is fully redone new orchestra music. And I figured this would be the best way to talk about Elvis, because he, he doesn't have any like definitive albums. There's a lot of great Elvis singles, there's a lot of great obscure songs, but there's no real good solid Elvis album to talk about. And Elvis is one of my favorite artists, so naturally I wanted to talk about him on the show. So why not pick something that is essentially the best of Elvis with some good remixes? Yeah, especially because Elvis was a recording artist during the time when it was was primarily singles. Mm-hmm. You didn't you didn't have big albums. Albums were done to make more singles. Yeah, I don't think it was until the Beatles where albums became a major focal point of uh, recording artists with uh, Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. And maybe Beach Boys with Pet Sounds. Yeah, yeah. I never really think about Beach Boys for stuff like that, but I could definitely see that. Um, And Elvis is also just one of those guys where a lot of his best music is re-recordings of other tracks because he comes from a period when that was super popular and okay with people. Like, I don't think he actually wrote any of his songs. He came up with a few of the concepts and worked with writers, but he never actually wrote any of his songs to my knowledge. Yeah. And that was again, common for the time. Like, um, uh, blue eyes, fucking Sinatra. Sinatra never wrote a song. Yeah, and he's uh, um, if if you've read any Elvis biography, you know that his manager constantly tried to get him to be more like Sinatra because his manager thought Sinatra was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, but it was like Elvis was very much a recording artist of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this this is your first exposure to these versions of this song, correct, Chris? Yeah, I've always, like, here's the best way to put it. I grew up in a country household, like, the best way to put it. My parents listened to country, but it was very much that 90s, Tim McGraw, Garth Brooks, uh, oh, Andrew Jackson. I'm so sorry. Uh, Alan Jackson, that kind of, no, fuck off. Garth Brooks is good. <laughs> He's okay. The thunder rolls, man. Thunder rolls. That's a great song. But very much in that kind of place, um, we had a family friend who played, like, essentially Moose Lodges and played that kind of country westerny kind of stuff, and he played a good number of Elvis songs. Huh. Uh, so I grew up in this kind of musical sphere. I grew out of it, as many people can readily figure out from seeing the podcast and me going on about the music I like, Rage Against the Machine, The Pillows, 
uh, Ghost, Oingo Boingo. My music taste is very different, but there's there's something kind of a, a weird mix of like comfort food with Elvis, and this was like I, this is going to sound extremely weird, and you're going to question why I'm saying this, but these recordings, these versions, felt like being in a restaurant at Disney World. Interesting. That's not a take I would have ever expected to hear. But like, you, you, like it feels like that kind of classic Americana wholesomeness, but not folky. It's fully orchestral. It's it has that depth surrounding it, but there's also just kind of a sincerity behind it. Mm-hmm. And it has that whimsy because there's a lot of uh, uh, flute. Um, pieces within these recordings. Yeah. Flute plays a major melodic presence. And that's something I associate with like the whimsy of Disney. Hmm. See, a lot of this to me gave the impression of like, oh, this would be best listened to driving down the highway in the middle of the night in the rain. Yeah. Like it's that, it's got that kind of calming but going over some chaotic emotions feel to it. Because a, a lot of Elvis's tracks and a lot of the tracks they use in this album, or these albums, sorry, are songs about wanting to fall in love and songs about having recently broken up. Yeah. And, like, that also kind of plays into it because it's all about love, but it's not about lust. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's because- a couple... That there's there's fever and steamroller blues, but that's about it. Yeah, and that kind of tiptoes, but I don't know. For some reason, Disney just kind of popped in my head, and I think it's just because my family always loved the weird parts of Disney. We loved going to the Country Bear Jamboree. Hmm. Like that. That's just what we liked at Disney, and so that kind of Americana just immediately brings me that uh, to that kind of place. Nice. They're great orchestrations. Yeah. Uh, what, what are you, some of your favorite tracks? Let's start delving into that kind of stuff. I always like the faster ones, mainly because I like faster-paced music. I like energy. So um, uh, Steamroller Blues, I like that. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, the, first track of the, the first track of the first one can't remember what it was called burning love burning love yeah and that's that's a classic elvis song that's one of those ones people always go to it's that and hound dog like those are i feel like those are his two most well-known songs and it's weird hound dog when you understand the context of who originally wrote it makes 10 times more sense because it was originally written by a woman Mm -hmm. and it's basically you ain't nothing but a hound dog it's talking about a dude. It's talking about another man. Yeah, and you and have you ever heard the story about the fact that he's complete? He during life was completely ambivalent towards it. Nah, like when he recorded it, it was just after he'd recorded. Oh God, I can't remember the name, but it's it's some song about like a recently divorced couple. And it was during the time when he was realizing that he and Priscilla weren't going to work out. And he just loved that song and he wanted to record more stuff like it. 
but all they had for him for the rest of the night was more like poppy solo hits and they said like here's the best one and handed him hound dog and he was like i want to record this and and they convinced him to do it like this is gonna be a hit you have to do this and he did it and he put his all into it and people loved it but to till his death whenever he performed it live he had to have the lyrics on a piece of paper in front of him he just could not remember them Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, the faster paced stuff is really great. Um, I was also impressed about, like, how good they made some of his, uh, his, um, gospel stuff sound on this, because I'm typically not into gospel music, even when I was a, a Christian as a kid, but the version of How Great Val Art that's on this is amazing, um, and, uh, there, there's some other good lesser known stuff that I think people don't really think of Elvis when it comes to certain kinds of stuff. Like, uh, on the first album, they have both of his, uh, racially charged songs in the ghetto. And if I can dream and both of those just sound phenomenal in this version. Yeah. Um, they sounded really good. Um, it's definitely, like in the ghetto is definitely a song I don't think a white guy could sing today. Yeah, and that's really interesting because the the take I've always had on it is like it's not a song you could get away with singing now, but it's also worded in exactly the kind of way you need to make privileged white people understand why things are so bad for black people. Yeah, but now we've gotten to the point where it's just easier. Hey, maybe we should just, I don't know, listen to black people in their music and kind of to figure out how they're feeling. Yeah. I mean, what's easier to understand? Someone else interpreting, uh, interpreting the understanding that money is simultaneously something that black people need in order to get out of poverty, but also something extremely hard to get uh, to acquire in the first place? Or is it easier to listen to Wu-Tang Clan saying about cream? Fair enough. Uh, and that's, that's, that's just something that's always inherently there with Elvis because he, he got his start singing and acting like black musicians, um, but he was a white guy, and so that got him over like crazy, and it also made white parents at the time hate him. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those... Oh, go ahead. I'm, always, I'm of the opinion that Elvis is the king of pop rock. Chuck Berry and Lil Richard are the kings of rock and roll. Hmm. That's fair enough. And of course, we ought to represent the goddess and the godmother, Sister Rosetta. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, The the black queer queen she fucking was. Brilliant (laughs) ass lady. Um, But I think my favorite track on this this whole assortment of songs has got to be this version of kentucky rain like a beautiful thing yeah I, it's, I can see it in like a period piece in a movie like that's another thing that this made me feel like oh this could be a really good backing to like a movie set in the 50s mm-hmm. it really does put you in the mind of another time like i felt like i should be 
um like i said either driving in the rain like it, it gave me a very rainy feel honestly because like the other image i had in my hand was sitting in like a diner in a suit in the rain i can see that or like a like vague images pop in my head of like a fireplace the dusty smell of a grandparent's house and cornbread yeah it's very homey yeah um but yeah uh kentucky rain's always been a been a favorite of mine it's it's one of those songs that like i have in just about every playlist of mine because i can listen to it at any time and just instantly get into it because it's a it's a very simple very understandable story but it's it's performed so beautifully um um any any other standouts to you uh i don't have the playlist in front of me so you can keep fanboying while i pull that up real quick uh okay um (laughs) i don't mean that negatively i'm just trying to pull it up and fill time no 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 it's fine i love to babble on about elvis just because like i all of his music i'm a fan of i think it's good but like the guy's life has always fascinated me and that's partly because I just started reading up on him one day when I was younger because I have the same birthday as he did. Yeah, see, I share the I share my birthday with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, dude, nice. <laughs> uh, so, depending on who you ask, it's much cooler. Hmm. At least contemporarily. Yeah. I do like the version of Suspicious Minds on uh, this album. I mean, Suspicious Minds is like one of the greatest songs of all time, in my opinion. There's no bad version of it. But um, this this is a really solid one. Not even the best Elvis one, though, because there's like there's the original recording. There's a couple different live ones that float around out there, and there's this one. And my personal favorite is the, the live one from... A, rec- a recording of one of his Vegas shows. Um, see, here's uh, like, I have like the good best slow one I got was uh, "Can't Help Fall in Love" just because that's just a great classic. Oh yeah, little ditty. Um, a lot of like I I was surprised going back for this just how many love songs there are on it, but it's. It makes sense, you know, he was kind of known as a heartthrob at the time, and a lot of a lot of his best vocal work is in the love songs. Like, uh, we briefly mentioned Fever, which this version has new vocals um, sp- um, spursed in by Michael Bublé, and... The Bublé! Yeah, <laughs> yes! And that is just an incredible version of that song, and really highlights how similar their voices were. I never realized it until I listened to that. Um, Always on my mind, there's always me, can't help falling in love. Like, there's just some great bangers in that first album. And then uh, Let It Be Me really stuck out to me on the second one. Yeah, like, the, the best, the greatest thing about this whole thing is, like, it feels very much like they just took the master vocals and then orchestrated underneath it which is probably all they did but the way they combined instrumentation to his voice made was just expertly woven into each other it complemented each other really well because he has a very 
violin-esque delivery with his vocal cords. Mm-hmm. If you get what I'm saying, it's like some some singers like sing like they're a horn. Some sing like they're like they're a triangle, and like you can tell they're 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 expressing their vocal cords in a certain way. Elvis Berry has like that drawn way of uh 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 like a violin. Yeah, he so he he simultaneously always sounds like he's in a slight amount of pain and an immense amount of pleasure. Yeah. But but the the orchestration really complemented that and I think that's partially why there were so many flutes because he has a more resonant voice so you needed something to kind of cut through that with the melody. Hmm. And a flute did pretty good. Yeah. Um, like, I can't exactly speak on the technical end because I just don't know a lot about that, but a lot of this does really feel like a passion project. Like, it feels like the few members of the Memphis Mafia who are still alive, because all of them run his estate, along with the, uh, the surviving members of the um, Bollier family. I forgot Priscilla's maiden name for a minute there. Um, but they all they all run Elvis's estate, and this feels like them getting together and going like, "What's the best possible thing we could put together to make like a really good best of, also introductory album tribute to everything that made up Elvis as a performer?" And like, th- this is it. It's it's a fantastic little set, and uh, I'd highly recommend it. Whether you're somebody who's into Elvis's music or um, like I was up until I started looking into him when I was a, a younger teenager, um, somebody who just kind of went their entire life going like, yeah, I know Elvis exists. I know he's supposed to be a big deal, but uh, I don't really got time to look into older music. Yeah. One thing that kind of just like struck me is like, this is such a brilliant little concept for reinterpreting music. And I'd love to see it like be done to like, the Beatles catalog Mm, or like Led Zeppelin or or like Sabbath, like take some of the great artists we've had in the 20th century and reinterpret and reinterpret their music through this lens. Yeah. And I think a lot of orchestras will do that with like singular songs and they'll put together a set of those as a touring show, but very rarely you actually get that as albums. And I, and I think that could make for a, a very good concept. Because I can just, I can just, like, listening to this, I was just going like, oh man, it'd be really cool to hear their orchestration for, like, the Beatles. Because I think a lot of Elvis is pretty simplistic. It's old school rhythm and blues. It's old school rock and roll. And for lack of a better way to describe it, it's very simple music. It's four chords, four, four time, very easy. So they had to add a lot of fills and and stuff to kind of fill out the sound and make it more robust mm-hmm. and that's the part inter- of the reason i wanted this to be a general discussion rather than a track by track because there's not much lyrical analysis to do it's all kind of right there but that that also is very charming oh yeah there's there is there's a definite charm going back to simpler music because you get so wrapped up in like the complicated nature of certain musicians and how their lyrics work and, and the instrumentation 
and all that kind of jazz. And it's just kind of like, no, no, no. It's just simple guitar singing. It's easy. Mm-hmm. It's just a good old boy singing some good old tunes with some high quality updating. Yeah, with some dancing from Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, you all right over there? I uh, yeah, burp. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, it's like there's there's not much to say about it in detail again, but it's one of those things that I felt like we we needed to highlight on the show, and I definitely wanted to make sure you listen to being the music buff you were. I've, I've, I always like getting your take on stuff. That's always kind of been there as part of my life. Yeah. I mean, the same way that I like, I introduced you to my weird bullshit. Like I like rage against the machine. That was my fucking high school. Mm. Like that was my shit. And like hearing you uh, talk about it, I was like, Oh, okay. And see, as a high schooler, I was into, like, 80s hair metal, which, by the way, I just realized, could you imagine the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra doing, like, a Journey album? Ooh. Or, may I suggest, Guns N' Roses. Oh, man. Just imagine the entire violin section going along with the fucking Sweet Child of Mine. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I would come. That would be great. Also, like November Rain, all but there's a bunch of great shit. Yeah. Oh, is... another thing that this whole thing reminded me of, it felt like the music for an Elvis Presley musical on Broadway. Oh, that, like that would be cool. Like this would have been the uh, the the reinterpretation for a musical on Broadway of like this sweet little love uh, love story in the fifties. Like I could see that happening. And writing it around Elvis's music and maybe making it kind of a social commentary of the time, making it like an interracial relationship that the the play is about. Hmm. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see that. Like this this whole thing is like a great display of classic talent, but also in a peek into what is really an untapped genre. Because we keep going back to, we'd love to see other orchestrations of the best of classic artists. And also, like, something that does happen from time to time, but not nearly often enough, which is using modern music or using popular music to build a musical. Because you do get some jukebox musicals, but oftentimes they just kind of feel like slapdash and put together. They don't Mm -hmm. have, like, energy or effort put into it. Like, they either come off extremely cheesy or, like, a poorly made cash grab. Like, Rock of Ages was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, we all know that one person that likes Moulin Rouge, but honestly, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Yeah, no. It was, it was trying too much with not enough. Yeah. Like, they were trying to tell this big, expansive story, but with pop music? It was weird. Have it, you ever it, seen Repo of the Genetic Opera? No, but I've not seen it simply because of how polarizing it is. Here's a here's a weird thing. We'll get into it later. But because I've been getting more into Wu Tang, I've been looking up into individual members. The Riz is in that. Really? I'm pretty sure. That's crazy. Uh, we'll talk about 
my new fascination with Wu Tang in a little bit. Yeah, but like SpongeBob um, was a was a goddamn jukebox musical. They made a Broadway SpongeBob play, and it had like Bowie in it, and it's like I don't associate. Yeah, no. If you were gonna make a SpongeBob musical, all the music should have been Ween. I mean, that kind of makes sense because David Bowie was a SpongeBob fan when he was alive, but also what? Yeah, no, like I can understand like one or two Bowie songs, like one of some of the more Ziggy Stardust kooky shit. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't imagine like a ton of them, and I I can it was definitely wasn't like one of his kookier stuff. But like, if you're gonna make a SpongeBob musical, there's an entire album you can base it off of, which inspired the show SpongeBob, <laughs> which is which is the album Ocean Man's from Ocean Man. Take me by the hand, lead me to the that song. That's just huh. a whole album of stuff like that. that it's uh, Ween the Moss. Why it's in the movie. Yeah, Ocean, uh, Ocean uh, Ween, uh, the Mollusk. Like, you could base the whole musical off of that. And, like, there's interesting things there. There's interesting things. Like, Broadway and musicals are kind of getting, I wouldn't say a second wind. It's more of, like, they've been in cheap, cheap material land. It's been like, oh, we'll just turn a movie into a musical. That kind of place for a while, but now we're getting stuff like Hamilton and uh, the one musical about Hades and Orpheus. Uh, yeah, I definitely know more theater heads now than I ever have in my entire life. Yeah. So it's but uh, they, they get to, you can make a good musical out of this, especially like these compositions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, you have your perfect title right there for the musical in the first album, If I Can Dream. Like, just going off of the concept you gave. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things here. You can do you can do some shit. But, like... Uh, oh, God, motherfucker. You are like, just fitting to explode tonight. I had, like, bacon and pancakes for dinner. Mm-hmm. Why? Were you at an IHOP? No, we just breakfast for dinner. Why not? Okay. Hash browns. I had some hash browns. Uh. (laughs) Uh. Um. Any anything else to say about these albums? Because I feel like we're starting to grasp a little. Uh, What? Uh. Nothing I can think of. They're good. I don't think I'll revisit them anytime soon, just because, again, my my lane of music is it's it's different, especially what I've been kind of diving into lately. Yeah, this is probably like a like a nice little breather for you, rather than oh yeah, rather than shifting you in a new direction. Yeah, it was it was a nice little like whoo, okay, cool. Hmm. All right, now back well, to the hard shit. Yes, and with that, uh, let's uh, let's figure out what we're talking about next week because this was a nice short little highlight. But hopefully, soon we can get something nice and meaty. So, you ready to find out, Chris? Sure. All right. Next week we will be discussing Danger Five Season One. <gasps> I've never heard of this, and you just scared me. Oh, it's the best thing. Okay. 
imagine 1960s Ultraman. Okay. But Australian and hilarious. Okay. Like, uh, let me see if I can find the one gift that can easily sum this up and send it to you real quick. Okay, we'll wait. Well, my parents are excited for it. Hold on. It's coming. I'm getting it. I'm a patient boy. All right. Boop. Like, you've already got me excited with that description, because I, I have seen the first two Ultraman shows, and I do like them. And boop. And boop. Like, I don't want to say anything more, because you just need to watch the, like, just start watching. Don't even read a description. Don't look up trailers. Just watch the first episode and... <laughs> and you're gonna link me to a place to watch this, correct? Yes, I will. Because okay. uh, it's it, it, they, there's some legal things. I would expect so. <laughs> what the flip? <laughs> uh, I just sent him a gif of a well-groomed man who looks to be from the 60s uh, reading a magazine called Sensible Chuckle. He turns the page and gives a sensible chuckle. <laughs> it looks like stuffing out of Thunderbirds. That's another major influence. Great. Like, here's the best way to put it. Every episode kind of riffs of the first season every episode kind of riffs on a classic 60s sci-fi tv trope interesting yes all right well while we're waiting for uh the time to go off and watch that chris why don't you tell me what you've been listening to this week okay i've been listening to uh some mf doom how Hold on a second, I have a dog. <laughs> Yo, dog. Hello, dog. Please come in. So polite to the dog. Alright, how is MF Doom? Because I've I've heard MF Doom mentioned a few times, but I've never looked into it. Uh, also, I've been listening to some Woo, but we're, uh, let's talk about Doom. MF Doom is an underground hip-hop guy. Like, he's your rapper's favorite rapper. Ah, your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. He's one of those kind of dudes. Um, and the best way to describe it is kind of like his name. He is a super villain in the rap game, like Doom, like Doctor Doom. Okay, like he has another persona character he did did for a couple of albums called Victor Vaughn. I see, and he has an entire concept. Uh, album called Take Me to Your Leader by a different persona called King Ghidra. So this is a this is a man of quality, I see. Oh yes. Um he, he he's very interesting. And, and like 
just very slick, relaxed fucking rhyme, but he you can hear in his voice that he can fucking rip you to shreds with his words. He's also a very interesting artist because if you buy a ticket to one of his shows, you don't know if you're going to see MF Doom. Because, like his namesake, he may send out another man in his mask called a Doombot. That was me clapping. See, hip hop heads get get got a little get a little pissed about that, but like as a comic book fan, I'd fucking blow my mind if I got a Doombot because it's a Doombot. Like, come on, that's like naming yourself after Spider Man and just occasionally coming out in an all black costume and being an asshole at one of your shows. Yeah, or naming yourself Iron Man and coming on belligerently drunk. Yes. <laughs> But like he, he, like there's a full embodiment of that in just his music. It's really good shit. Uh, also, he's worked with some members of the Wu Tang Clan, so because he's because he did an album with Sarface, which is Inspector Deck and a couple other dudes. Um, I've also been listening to Sarface, um, which is <laughs> uh, which is another kind of like. There's a there's a great like mixture of like comic book fans and hip hop, especially with like that little group that the Wu Tang Clan kind of associate themselves with. Hmm. Because Wu Tang Clan is heavily inspired by kung fu movies, but like uh, Ghostface Killer, uh, his first solo album is called Iron Man. Nice. Yeah. Um, and he has a superhero persona whenever he teams up with uh, Sarface, and it's like a Jason kind of looking dude. Hmm. There's a lot of interesting shit here. It's very clean. Uh, anything else on the docket? Uh, I uh, finally went back and listened to Poppy's new metal song with Fever three three three. Is that the is that Scary Mask? Yeah. Ah, oh, that's the that's the uh, that's the secondary Eo Shirai theme current right now. Yeah, it's a good song. I'd imagine so. Um, part of me wish there was a little bit more Fever three 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 influence in it. I understand that there's not. I'm okay with it. But like, as a big fan of Fever three three three, I don't know whether to call them three 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 or three hundred thirty three because it's just. I haven't heard them say what it is, so yeah, I say three, three, three. That's one of those things where you gotta wait until the artist says it. Yeah, but that was pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a lot of fucking getting into that nitty gritty East Coast New York style hip hop, man. Nice. Well, on the opposite spectrum, I've been diving much, much deeper into the electronic synthwave chill shithole i've been listening to summer glow by unfound almost bliss by kevin mcleod glass by theo way closer by four hill um scandinavians by sunbavers photosynthesis by oding old old stained road by dj cumberbund Dizarro by fog my Beloga by Weird Al and Hope to Die by Orville Peck. Oh, fucking Orville Peck, great. But also, yeah. like, 
that's a one thing about electronic artists that I am impressed by, but also like, eh, it's just their naming conventions on how they like refer to themselves. Yeah, it's it's always some weird obtuse bullshit. Like, like there's one guy I I, I kind of follow called Slushy. <laughs> nice. I mean, it makes sense. His he has a little mascot, and it's a little slushy dude in a cup. Hmm. Um, real quick, uh, before we get further, my friend just sent a link. Apparently, GI Joe is going to be part of Earth Wars. Excuse me. Transformers and GI Joe coming in hot to Transformers Earth Wars. Is this like a media thing, or is there toys? Revealed that G.I. Joe and Cobra characters and vehicles are coming in future updates of the April Mansion mobile game. Oh. It's the mobile game. Oh, that shit doesn't matter. Yeah, but that may mean that they might make toys in real life if it gets popular. Well, we can cross our fingers, but from what I hear, there's never been a good Transformers mobile game. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But yeah, Orville Pack. Yeah, Orville Pack is is great. This is probably my favorite music video of his. Like this just displays so much style and directorial strength. Mm-hmm. Um, the song's pretty average for him, but the, the video is just beautiful. Um, and then again, tracking down one of the uh, the few Weird Al songs I've never heard. I had heard it in a recording of a concert once, but I'd never actually listened to the album version. My Beloga is so fun. Or Bologna, sorry. Yeah. And he recorded that when he was, what, 17, 18? Yeah, as one of his first songs. Yeah. And recorded it in the bathroom. Nice. Well, uh, what have you been watching this week, sir? Well, I finally got around to watching the complete uh, uh, special of Randy Writes a Novel. Yay! I've watched episodes two through nine of Wu-Tang and American Saga. Okay. I watched uh, Good Eats episode on Ancient Grains, Outlaw Star episode 7, Diamond No Ace episode 7, Wu-Tang, the documentary Mikes of Men episode 1, and Votums episode 7. Uh, how are those, those, uh, those, that Wu-Tang documentary going? That Wu-Tang documentary is very interesting because they're going definitely in time and the first episode is talking all about like their life before coming into the Wu like forming the Wu-Tang Clan and it's just like yeah no shit was kind of fucked up because they grew up in uh, uh, the crack epidemic of New York mm. like that was late 80s early 90s and that was when they were kind of their formative years and like there's just one elongated segment of like several members of the group going like yeah no I fucking dealt no I dealt yeah no no I dealt yeah I dealt and wow. it's just like, damn, like they were in a bad situation. And like, it's very interesting because all of them have like a slight reverence to the fact that Riza had this idea for the Wu-Tang. Because you, 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 as you learn about the Wu-Tang Clan, you realize that it was, the early years was very much his vision. Because he basically went to all the members and went like, all right, you follow me for a goddamn year and do everything I say, and I guarantee in five years, we'll be number one in the charts. And he was right. Well, good for him. Oh, yeah. And, like, it just makes me 
really want to dive into the entirety of the Wu-Tang catalog, not just the, the group's albums, but also like all their individual solo projects. Because the RZA created a like revolutionized music contracts when he created the Wu Tang Clan, because he went to a a, an, a a record label that was just getting off the ground and said, "Hey, you can get us for dirt cheap, but every member of this group can also make a solo contract with another recording label." Hmm. So they didn't have two contracts: one as the group, as a unit, as a band. But also, they can split off and be a solo artist. Nice. And there's, like, stories of one guy getting uh, um, uh, a deal with one recording label. I think it was, like, Universal or something. And another guy getting an offer from the same place. And the RZA going, no, don't sign there. There's going to be other places that uh, will sign you. We need to infiltrate everywhere. Hmm. And, like... I think it was ODB. I think it was Old Dirty Bastard who he said that to. And Old, D- uh, Old Dirty Bastard was like, all right. And like the same year, he got another deal from another place and signed with them. Very clean. Like it's, it is heartwarming to see the story of the Wu-Tang Clan in a way. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's somewhat similar to what uh, you want to do with this, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like I could like. Like, I just want to read all the Riz's books now because he's wrote two books about uh, how he kind of formulated the Wu-Tang Clan and how his philosophy behind it and why he did. And he's gone on about it. Like, he purpose like all the members were purposely picked because, A, they were close to him, but also they served a purpose in the group. So hmm. he was the Rizza, he was the producer, the mastermind, the guy organizing everything. But then you had the Jizza. He was the genius. He was the person to bring in the hip hop heads who like lyrical content, like depth, like metaphor, like all that poetry and stuff. But then you had Ghostface Killa and Rakim, the chef. No, uh, Rakim, no, Raekwon, Raekwon, the chef. <laughs> like so many R names. Uh, Raekwon, uh, uh, Raekwon, the chef. And he said, we made sure they were in the group to bring in the gangster crowd who wanted that real shit, that dirt, like that grimy shit up the streets. And then he brought Method Man in because he was a good looking guy, but he was also kind of nice. So he could bring in kids and bring in ladies. Wow. And like old dirty bastard, he was crazy and wild, but also like an enigmatic personality who could get on the pop charts. And he did. He worked with Mariah Carey. Wow. Like, there's so much layer and shit with all everything Wu-Tang. It's like, damn, I'm mad at myself that I haven't become a fan of them sooner. Hmm. Uh, well, switching gears, uh, what do you think of Randy Wright's a novel now that you've seen the whole thing? It's really great, and I love how it ends before you can say anything in the novel, but you can tell the character of Randy was about to start to say the novel, but the point of the special wasn't the novel itself. It was Randy getting comfortable with expression and coming to terms with him as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And it's also a great, uh, it's a great sort of like side joke about the procrastination that inherently comes with being a writer. Oh yeah. Like you have to, everybody who's a writer knows that like, Writing even just one sentence can take like hours of working up to it and getting yourself in the right headspace. 
Oh yeah, I'm still working through my god one of my goddamn scripts. I wrote like two paragraphs yesterday, and it was just like, no, I don't. I feel like I can't figure out my outline from here. Uh, but like, uh, also, Gumtree uh, joke is still excellent. Oh yeah, it's one of the best bits ever. Uh, well, it's speaking of. Uh, speaking of Randy and what I've been watching, uh, I watched Randy Feltface is Sober. That was a good time. That's good. And then I watched uh, El Camino, Transformers Cyberverse Season 2, Episode 6, Common Rider Zero One, Episode 7, and Star vs. the Forces of Evil, Season 4, Episodes 1 through 5. Nice. Yeah, good, good assortment of current or recently ended stuff yeah yeah. i i know you were hyping yourself up for el camino hype may be the wrong word like gearing up to watch it do you enjoy it it was wonderful Um, that's good like the only possible complaint i think people could have with it is a certain character looked different than he did in the show, but it's also like the show ended three or four years ago. So how was he, how was at least one of these people not going to like, I was more impressed with the amount of people who, who were able to still look the same. Like, um, was it like he gained weight or uh, lost weight or something? Yeah. He, he, he was about, I want to say 40 pounds heavier. That's not horrible. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, the thing that really impressed me is, spoilers, uh, Kristen Ritter's character, who's dead at this point in the timeline, shows up in a flashback, and she looked, she looks really different than Jessica Jones, in my opinion. Like, she looks like a little girl in the Breaking Bad season she's in, but they got her back for a flashback in this and somehow made her look exactly the same. It's incredible. Um, and also the film quality is just brilliant. The thing looks like it belongs on the big screen. It's not like they just took some TV cameras and went and shot two more episodes of the show and called it a movie. It's, there is some really good direction to this and it, it's just like crystal clear footage. That's good. Uh, did it, did Breaking Bad need a movie wrap up or was it more like an epilogue for other characters? It didn't particularly need a movie wrap-up. The place it ends is a fine ending point, and it's largely agreed to be one of the best endings in television history. Um, However, there is the secondary lead, Jesse Pinkman, played by Aaron Paul. He, He was in, like, a really shitty place at the end of the show, and the show ends with him driving an El Camino off into the night, like screaming like a madman as the police are arriving at the crime scene he's driving away from. And so there's often been this like floating around idea of what happened to Jesse. Did he get away or didn't he? Cause he was kind of the victim in all of this at, at the end of things. And this is to answer that. This is essentially a story focusing on, yes, he got away. Here's how he got away. And here's a bunch of flashbacks to characters who couldn't be here because, hey, it's been like around five years since we made the show. So it's kind of like an anniversary reunion thing. Like, um, I did say spoilers. So, yeah, there's there's a scene where Brian Cranston shows up in a flashback. And it's it's like the 
it got me more excited than the portal scene in Endgame because it was <laughs> you never thought you were going to see those two characters standing next to each other again. It's not it's not like Endgame where it's like oh everyone's on screen at once. It's like these two who were like this these two incredible leads of this show are together again and they somehow managed to keep the fact that it was going to happen a secret through the entire production of this movie. Uh, Brian Cranston, one of the most successful Power Ranger actors ever. The most successful Power Rangers actor ever. Uh, Jason David Frank would probably argue with that. <laughs> he'd be wrong, but I'm sure he would argue. I'm not saying he would be right. I'm just saying he would. Jason David Frank is kind of, is the kind of guy who would argue with a salad if it looked at him wrong. I mean, his hair looks like a salad half the time. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, Do you read anything this week? Uh, yes, because uh, as I've been saying repeatedly, I've been all up in the Hickman X-Men stuff. And I read the first issue of the new X-Men stuff, and ooh, boy, it's good. Ooh, do tell. Um, it just kind of set up a general, like, action scene and set up the team and kind of get, get some of the general dynamics going down. Um, it shows, uh, kind of gave an explanation of how they're going to be an international team while they're all on the island because Krakoa can basically plant little home bases anywhere he wants and teleport between the main island and the home base. Interesting. So Scott Summers' house is on the moon? Because of uh, course it is. Oh, yeah. And, like, it's there's a really cool, like, barbecue cookout scene with, like, the whole team. And Scott Summers' brothers are both there. Jean Grey and Wolverine are all there. Everybody's getting along. It's happy. Also, Scott's dad is there. Because remember, Scott's dad is a human space explorer. Oh yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting that's a thing. And the Summers brothers did a really beautiful like gesture because he's not a mutant, he's human. But they gave him a teleportation flower just to the moon base. So Aww. he can come back and see his family anytime he wants. That's great. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Um, also, apparently, Jean Grey and Wolverine live up on the moon too with him. So, like, so they're they're just a polyamorous couple now. I have no idea, but it'd be interesting. Hmm. Uh, or it could just be like that's the general X Men house, and Wolverine wants to be there because fucking Wolverine likes to be alone, and what's more alone than being on the moon? With your best friends. With your best friend and the gal. Yep. I'm sure Jean Grey would appreciate that being called the gal. <laughs> oh, no. She ripped my head off. Yeah. Uh, I also read uh, the Max number four in 2000 AD issue 2150. Excuse me? 2000 AD is a, a British anthology comic that's been going since the 70s. Oh. Okay. And it's weekly. Oh, so it's the Shonen Jump of Britain. 
Yeah, but they keep the the numbers consistent. You know, it's just because I've been getting into Judge Dredd, and I was thinking, you know what would be cool to just uh, kind of start reading 2000 AD in general? Yeah, because I know that's I, the, I, I knew that was the magazine he originated from. I was just like, why is that the issue number? Because I went to the latest issue, and all the stories were part fours. So I went wow. backwards for comics to read the beginnings of all the stories that were currently going on so I can get context for the newer issues. Huh. Because they all started at this at this part, and it's, like, really cool. It's really dope because uh, one of the stories is a Judge Dredd story. And Judge Dredd is kind of you can enter any point in time. You don't have to read from the beginning. I just happen to be... So now I'm reading at the beginning and the current shit. Hmm. So Judge Dredd is going to be infiltrating uh, robot-controlled Guatemala uh, because uh, a, a, a robot committed a coup and the robot's name is El Presidente and he has artificial growing hair and a mustache? I love comic books. Oh yeah, it's great. He looks he's an amazing character design. Then there I read uh Hope Under Fire where a World War II veteran is it, basically World War II was won through occult means and he's dealing with the aftermath. Like there's a scene of him and another soldier going through a field and if you think a certain thought your head explodes. Hmm. So it's really kind of weird sci-fi shit. Uh Brink, which is like kind of Judge Dreddy, but modern comic booky indie style, uh, but on a space station with less cynicism, it seems like. Hmm. Looks pretty cool. And, and yeah, really great fucking art. Like, it's just fantastic art all throughout this thing. Nice. Yeah. What you been reading? I only read one thing this week, and take a wild fucking guess what it was. A book. I read the final Hunger Game book, Mockingjay. Oh. oh. It. I will say this about the Hunger Games. The series is extremely good at slowly cranking up the bullshit levels, so that by the time you notice all the bullshit... It's too late, and you just got to keep going to see where it goes. <laughs> oh, man. I noticed about four chapters into this one, and I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's see where it goes. And where it went was such an immense shark jump that I had to lock the door at work because I could not stop laughing for five minutes straight. It makes the cursed child look like sensible plot progression. Probably. I still don't know what happens in the cursed child. I just know that people don't like it. Like Harry cheats on his wife, I think. Oh, fuck that. Maybe. I don't remember. But like this shit is ridiculous. And I can kind of see the point the author is trying to make with that ending. But it's also like that is the worst possible way you could have done this. The Hunger Games, the Netflix adaptation of Battle Royale. Yeah. <laughs> I'm extremely interested to see how the movies turn out, turned out now, though, because, like, 
I, I partially read this because my sister was a big fan of movies and read the books, but I never knew what she thought of the books in particular. So I, I want to watch the movies at some point. If anything, it'll be interesting to watch Jennifer footage of Jennifer Lawrence from before I thought she was a twat. Yeah, um, I think I watched the first movie and the last movie, and that's it. Interesting. Yeah, similar to the only Hobbit movie I watched was the last one. <laughs> I still haven't seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies. I was going to read the books and then watch them, but I just could not make it through the second, uh, the second proper Lord of the Rings book. I've I've read the Hobbit and the first one. Uh, but now I've just given up, and I'm like, eventually I'll watch the movies. Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers. So you have two towers. Yeah. Uh, I've watched the first movie extended cut, but that's about it. Interesting. Uh, what did you play with this week? Uh, take a wild guess. Would I say damn at the end of it? Uh, you'd say dumb. As in, Gundamu! Ah. I've also been playing Castlevania. So. Oh, okay, okay. Did you see that tweet Few did today where he, he was talking about like he made a proper Gundam display and he was really into this one Gundam because it's, it's, it's just a generic one? And somebody replied to him and was like, but few, not all, all, all Gundams are mech suits. They don't have characters. And he just went, not in my house. Oh, <laughs> uh, was it a GM? Was it a gym? Uh, let me see if I can get you the, the tweet real quick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Gundam. I always go to search for few atoms when I really should just be searching for toy grind. Toy grind! Grind toys! <laughs> okay. There you go. I'm gonna pop it on my phone because it'll be easy. Yeah, that's a jet. Uh, no, that's uh, gun cannon, I think. That's oh. all version of gun cannon. Yeah. By the way, I agree with him. I, I always prefer the more generic-looking Gundams. It's because when they try to make certain Gundams more, like, characterful, they just add a lot of fucking weird detail. Yeah. Like, the, like, only, the only, like, main character Gundam I've ever liked is the original Universal Sentry. I think that's oh, a RX great design. RX-78. Yeah. But then that. you also have, like... There's a different variations of RX-78 that also look really good, like uh, RX-78 uh, um, fucking Thunderbolt version, which is basically a chunkier version of them, and with like uh, a leather polymer over the joints. It looks really dope. Yeah, and I mean, I like that pirate Gundam you showed me the other week, but for the most part, I tend to just go like, I want to get every color variant of the Zaku's. That's the thing I need to do at some point. So red, green, and blue. There's a purple one. <laughs> because uh, there's uh, the green Zaku's, which is the classic Zaku. Red Zaku's, which are always Char's Zaku. And then there's the blue Zaku's, which are actually goofs. 
Interesting. G uh, O U F. Oh. Uh, there's those guys. Uh, yeah, Gundam's dope. I like Gundam. My cool. fr- my friend's a he, my friend who's a much bigger Gundam fan than I am uh, is a big fan of like the Zagox, which are like the big guys with like fucking noodle arms. Oh, those are cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, as far as me this week, I have I I did cave and I did play a bit of Untitled Goose Game. It's all right. Not exactly my kind of thing, but I can see why people love it so much. Um, and then I, uh, I did, did the thing I tend to do about every six months. I broke out Star Wars Battlefront 2 and played that for about two days solid. The original Battlefront 2 or the new Battlefront 2? The original Battlefront 2. That's okay, one cool. of my favorite games of all time. I'm just checking. I didn't want you to fall into Loot Crate Hell. No, I, I would never defile my house with loot crates. <laughs> well, there goes that sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we want surprise mechanics in this podcast. Surprise mechanics! Uh, Shout out to Jimquisition. And I did get one figure this week. Um, and... It's a bit of a grail, so I'm kind of in a great mood because I've been messing around with it all day. Universe Deluxe Cyclonus of them there Transformers. Ooh. ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That is one of those figures that came out. It is one of the original Generations figures. Um, Universe 2008, I believe it was. And people lost it for the thing. It got universally good reviews. But I could not find it. I never saw it in the store as a kid, and I was always so annoyed because people made it seem like the best thing since sliced bread. And I finally found one up at that local toy store I keep telling you about, Toy Federation. And they had it. It was complete in great condition for twenty bucks. So only ten dollars more than the original retail. Nice. So I snatched him up, and he's. Brilliant! I, I think both the modes have great design to them. The transformation is one of the most fun and unique I've seen in a long time. And he might have the best light piping in all of Transformers. Like, even the slightest amount of light anywhere near his head, and he just blazes up. It's incredible. That's dope. Yeah, I am... I'm fully satisfied for this with this thing. It's everything a deluxe should be. I mean, you could go like, oh, he doesn't have ankle tilts or a waist joint, but like it was 2008, and his torso does like a million things during the transformation. I think he's fine. Oh yeah, you could probably answer this. Have they retconned the Armada version of Cyclonus to have a new name so they can make new versions of him? Because I always love that guy. Not as far as I know. I mean, they kind of did it during the Unicron trilogy itself when he got reformatted into Snowcat, but I don't think you could release a toy of a helicopter and call it Snowcat. Nah. I just really love that fucking design because I just love, like, the long body tail of the helicopter. Oh, yeah. Armada... Like, people shit on Armada all the time because the toys were so focused on gimmicks and they looked like big crappy play school things. But 
I love most of the designs in Armada, especially those Decepticons. Like Cyclonus, Demolisher, Megatron, Tidal Wave, they all look fantastic. Because the, the, the Unicron trilogy, they weren't making figures. They were making toys. Mm-hmm. Now they make figures, which can also be a toy, but they're figures. Yeah. And there's a and there's a difference in ideology there that I think we need to look at the Unicron trilogy not as comparable to today's Siege toys, but to today's Cyberverse toys. Yeah, or even Rescue Bots to some extent. Like, those have big, ridiculous gimmicks in them sometimes. Yeah, but they're meant to be for kids, so the big, ridiculous gimmick is the play pattern for the singular toy. So it, it just builds on each other. It's... Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's interesting that you put it that way, because, like, I've been talking about more and more recently how I just want to get the toys that were out when I was a kid and I either got or didn't get. And, like, talking about how into Armada and Energon I've been recently, you mentioned Cyberverse being similar. Remember when Few did Bruhaha Tuhaha and he reviewed that Cyberverse Bumblebee where, like, half of the engineering was dedicated to to missiles popping out in the car mode? Yeah. I saw it do that, and I was instantly like, ooh, I want that figure. That yeah, was, see, you want to awesome. be a toy collector. Mm-hmm. You want to be – you focus on the toy aspects. Other people focus on the figure aspect. Well, I it's just interesting focus on because with, with Transformers, I do that. And with, with certain other things, I can do that. Like, I love Kamen Rider roleplay shit. But with everything else, I'm like, yeah, I just want the best representation of that character possible. Like – Mar- like I buy Marvel Legends and the flipping Power Rangers uh, Lightning Collection because I think those are the best representations of those figures that don't cost like eighty dollars. Yeah, like if I had the money, there's so many dumb sh- like I want so bad. They have articulated versions of the Lupin the Third crew. Ooh, and like oh man, it's Lupin. It's such a good version of Lupin. Did you see those uh, those new Sun Vulcan figures that got released today? Oh, no, no, no. Um, hang on, let me bring up the article real quick. S.A. Triggarts? No, they did Sun Vulcan figures, uh, figure arts a while ago, but they just released, they're doing, they just revealed, I'm sorry, I kept saying released, they're doing Soto candy toy versions of Sun Vulcan and they look just as good as the figure arts. Here's the thing. Like, the candy toys have been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a candy toy version of Brawly and, I think, Gogeta? Hmm. Like, it, it's the DBZ line. I have a couple of them. No, it's Brawly and Bardock. That's who I have. Damn, those fucking look tasty. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe those are candy toys for me, honestly. Like Somebody the, pointed out they look like shrunken lightning collection figures, and I can totally see it. Like, the only thing that's a little off about them, and you can see it when you look at the picture of the Red Ranger, is the waist hip part looks a little oversized for the torso. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because they've got, like, some kind of crazy figure arts level engineering in the hips, and they have to cover it up with a big diaper. Yeah. Like, that's the only bad part, but, like, you can only see it when you pose them in a very certain way. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the red one's the only one you notice it on, but, like, the blue pose looks great. 
the yellow pose looks great. All of them together, like they hide, you can hide it really well. So that's not a big concern. Yeah. And also the one where they're just standing solid, that may just be a bad picture of red. It may just be the torso span around in a weird way. It's possible. Damn, but... I fucking love their helmets. They look great. Oh yeah, some Vulcan is one of the best Showa Sentai designs. I really like the ones that have like the biomechanical like circuit board before the like Bioman, I think it is. Yeah. Bioman, I dig them. Nice. Also they they um revealed if I can get a Oh, I did click on that article. They're Good doing job. a super mini plot version of the Sun Vulcan mech. So I'm guessing Sun Vulcan is just like a big deal in Japan right now, or it's close to an anniversary. I, I wouldn't put it past that. Yeah. But yeah, toys are good, and we like them. And uh, that's, that's probably going to do it for this podcast. So, uh, Boingo, you want to tell everybody uh, about your shit and where they can find it? Okay, real quick, I'm just going to preface this. I got a new fucking ad read from my channel, so I'm just testing it out here. I already did it for back earlier, and... He's doing a thing, everybody. Yeah, it's... Let's play along, play along. <clears throat> Boingo Riders, a hot, radical, new stuff on channel 732144456222 on the proprietary direct cerebral feed. Or you can find it right on YouTube, anime, tokusatsu, comics, movies. If it exists and I like it, I'll talk about it. Our journey into culture through a world where certain things haven't changed since the 90s and corporations are even more overt with how much they love to control our lives. AIs are smarmy assholes, and companies don't care how much you shit on them so long as they can make a buck. The future's a lot less bright than you thought, so tune in and drop out. Your life's not your own, so why bother? Engage with the content by subscribing on YouTube, following the Twitter and Instagram at boingo underscore writer, and join the Discord, ser Discord server in the description to show how much you hashtag love boingo writer. Watch. Or else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and, solidifying. Uh, I'm solidifying my brand. And uh, I'm the Vacuuminator. I make reviews of action figures, toys, physical media, that kind of stuff. And I also do side videos on the side. And uh, hey, I'm uh, transitioning out of my awful um, graveyard shift job right now, so I might actually put out some videos soon. Who knows? Go check them out at uh, youtube.com slash thevacuuminator. I assume that's still my link. Also, follow me on social media, at thevacuuminator on Twitter, at thevacuuminator on Instagram, at thevacuuminator on whatever fucking shit you're on. I'm sure I made an account and forgot about it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I the vacuuminator on MySpace. Yeah, and fucking, I don't, what, what's the, what's the one where people pay money to hold up signs? Fiverr? Yeah, I'm sure I have a Fiverr account. Pay me money and I'll hold up a sign for you. It'll be great. And uh, listen to the podcast. Listen to more episodes of this podcast. Analytical Fanboys here on Modular Media. Subscribe to the channel. Ring the bell. Download the MP3s from the Google Drive folder linked in the video description so you can listen to it on the go. Sell your soul! Yes. 
keep up with the updates and uh, what's coming next on the show by um, following us on Twitter at the Modular Media and subscribing to our subreddit, r slash Modular Media. But until next time, when we'll be discussing the first season of Danger 5. Danger, danger, high voltage. Yes, When we touch, when we kiss, danger, danger. That, yes. I was trying to think of a clever Elvis thing to say, but I couldn't in time. So we'll go with that. Bye.